All right, welcome back to MBA's Unplugged. I'm your host, John Ford. Uh, and it turns out I'm going to stay your host for a little while because things did not turn out so well with my non-fungible tokens. Turns out they are extremely fungible if you just screenshot them. Nobody told me that. Our guest today is Kem Wogu. He is uh, a student at Marshall, a first-year student, and he's pursuing a career in consulting. Kem, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me. So, Kem, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so, I, th- I guess I could start from uh, where I grew up, Nigeria. Um, so, I grew up in Nigeria, uh, in the capital city um, of Abuja, um, which, I mean, I have to say it's 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 just very different from, you know, from like here, um, just in terms of like, you know, the, I guess the biggest part would be like the food um, and just, I guess, the, the culture. Um, and it was a, it's, it's a place that, that, you know, that I definitely call home. It's a place that I certainly miss a lot, especially being uh, so far away. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's the most, I mean, I think we're called what, the giants of Africa because we have like, the most populated country. We are the most populated country within the, the continent of Africa. Um, well, yeah, I mean, Nigeria is, is where I call home and it's, it's, uh, it's a place that I hope to possibly return to someday. Yeah, let's go into Nigeria a little bit mm-hmm. uh, because I think it's a fascinating country. It's a very diverse country and it's an increasingly important country, but it's a country that I think a lot of people don't know that much about in the United States. So you're from Abuja, which is the capital. Uh, Abuja itself has a very interesting history. Uh, It was essentially created to be the capital in like the sixties, right? Right, right. Give us the background on Abuja and the story to the, maybe you don't know the whole story, but as best as you know the story, I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit. Uh, As best as you know, give us a little background on the sort of the cultural geography of Nigeria and why Nigeria chose to create a special capital in the middle of the country. That is a fantastic question. Uh, I'm really going to try to attempt it. Uh, to the best of my ability, but so I think like from from the from the little history that I know, the the capital actually used to be Lagos, which is uh, which is the place that everybody like knows. Like I feel like if I talk to anybody on the street, I tell them oh, I'm from Nigeria. They're like, oh, um, you, you're from Lagos, right? Or have you been to Lagos? Like everybody knows Lagos because Lagos is like probably like the entertainment you know capital of uh of um nigeria that's where you have that's where you have the most people um that's where you have like you know the the most shows or where like celebrities come to whenever they they visit nigeria um but i think for just like um administrative purposes like the 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 capital was created called abuja because it's the it's in the central part of of um nigeria so i guess maybe maybe for accessibility purposes um, maybe also for political purposes, maybe to to take the spotlight a little bit off of like uh, Lagos, which I'm not quite sure how successful that has really been. Um, so I think those were like some of the reasons that that Abuja was created. But to be honest, uh, I would I would ask the audience to <laughs> go to Wikipedia and learn about that. If not for me. Um, but in terms of like in terms of you know like diversity and in terms of culture, um, I think Nigeria has about 200 like we have about 200 um tribes um there i mean obviously we have three major tribes but they're like 200 tribes and i think about 500 languages that are spoken in general so really really diverse um which um some people might argue that is probably a uh there's probably too much diversity which leads to like you know a lot of like problems or like disagreements amongst people um but for the most part the culture is pretty rich um, and, you know, you can definitely experience a lot of like food, a lot of like um, different ways of thinking from just like meeting people um, within the country. So the story I had always heard that I, I kind of assumed was true because I learned mm-hmm. it in school. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little back, bit of background. I know a little bit about Nigeria because uh, in high school I took AP comparative government. 
And back then, the, the governments that you would study, it was basically there was U.S. government and there was comparative government. In comparative okay. government, you would study foreign governments. And so we would study Britain, France, Russia, China. And there was a wild card that you were allowed to pick one of three countries. And the three that we were allowed to pick from every year was Mexico, India, and Nigeria. Interesting. And, and my teacher said, we are not picking Mexico because everybody picks Mexico. And it's mm-hmm. too hard to get a five if you pick Mexico. Five mm-hmm. is the top score. Okay. And we're not going to pick India because he said, I think India is boring. Their political history is just the history of one family. Mm. <laughs> okay. I think that's a debatable proposition right. that India's political history is not interesting since 1947 seems a little bit interesting from what i know about it um but he said so what we're going to do is we're going to pick nigeria so you basically have three choices but actually one choice actually one choice the the class had to choose okay okay and so really the teacher chooses um, (laughs) the class has to choose it and then you would show up on exam day, they would give you the exam and you would get the version of the exam that has the Nigeria essay instead of the Mexico essay. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story he told us, which I'm interested in whether you think this is a plausible story, okay. was that they chose Abuja as the capital because it was in between as much as it could be the territory where the three largest ethnic groups lived, the House of Fulani, the Yoruba, and the Igbo, and that this was kind of in between, and so it was kind of geographically neutral, whereas Lagos is deep, deep in, I think it's the place in where the, the Yoruba live. Yes, yes. Um, that although is, it's probably, a, probably not, it's probably a lot of people who are not Yoruba now live in Lagos because yeah. just people come from all over the country. Yeah. No, that is, I mean, that sounds, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, and I think I'm inclined definitely to agree with that because it is it is true and it is the reality. Abuja actually sits, the northern part, for the most part, in general, the northern part is for the house of people. Um, then the the east and maybe the south as well is for, are for like the Igbo people, which is my tribe. And then the west is uh, the Yoruba people. But this is just a really big generalization, but because I told yeah. you, there are about 200 tribes, but if you wanted to put them into the three major tribes, that would be kind of like the geographical um, um, standpoint. And Abuja sits kind of in the middle of Nigeria. So yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. And, and like I said, whether that's the true story or not, it definitely sounds yeah. like it could be true. Mm-hmm. It definitely mm-hmm. sounds like a thing that could be true. Yeah. Um, so your Ebo, tell us a little bit about uh what that actually means, the House of Fulani, the Igbo, the Yoruba, who are these peoples and what defines them and what divides them from each other? Hmm, that's, that's a very, very good question. Um, I, think, I think like with regards to, you know, to the Yoruba, the House of the Igbo, I think the, I guess one distinction you can find just naturally would be the, the, the occupation of, of people in general. Um, of these like tribes so for instance like I want to say like back in the old days right you would have like maybe the, the north was mainly known for its um, like you know the cattle rarers for instance or like they grow like you know the grains um, the the eastern side and the western side were usually known for you know the the actual like agriculture of like the of the crops we would export you know um, the north was known the north which is what the house are known for like this uh, ground up pyramids um that Nigeria had which was like really really popular um whenever that you know whenever that was still in place um but yeah and then also I think the culture I think religion as well also is is something that that divides the the tribes you know like I would say for the most part majority of the Igbo people are Christian um majority of the Hausa people are Muslim and then there's a little bit of a mix um, with the Yoruba people. You can find some that are Christian. You can find some that are Muslim. Um, and then also just like where they, where, you know, the locations where they they are originated from, right? Like I said, northern part is mostly the house of people. Um, east and like east, and then the southern part mostly the the Igbo people, and then you know the western side the Yoruba people. I think just like uh, on a surface level, these are like distinctions that 
you can find um, with regards to these three uh, major tribes. Mm. Yeah. And the, which one is the largest of the, of the tribes? I guess, we, I guess we should call them tribal confederations because there's right. actually tribes under each right. category. Which is the largest? That's, I mean, I feel like, I feel like this, this is contentious. Some people might, might argue otherwise. Uh, but no, I, this I is actually true, big. right? Because right. because there was a civil war over the census in the 60s, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Because people yes. were, you know, it's an ethnically divided country, of course. And mm-hmm. so political affiliation often right. falls along ethnic lines. Yes. So how many seats you get in the legislature Mm-hmm. is very contentious so right. the census becomes very contentious right and people started inflating how many people lived in their towns and villages mm-hmm. to get more representation in the legislature right they got caught and it was like it nah, was this huge blow up. yeah these yeah. are these are fighting words we're fighting now because it's yeah. basically uh, a way of taking over the government to basically no. fake your census numbers right right um i so i, I would say like present day the the most populated um just going by like you said you know the 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 amount of people we see in government for instance and i think just in general will be the house of people uh they are they are the most populated and like within the nigerian context at the moment i mean you can say you can say maybe it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say 80 percent at least are all like house or like fulani um that are the people in, in power, right? Yeah. Um, so if you have if you have a president, um, which we do right now, that is Fulani, for instance, then um, you know a lot of people, a lot of people who like affiliate with his, you know, with his beliefs, with his political views, are the people who are appointed into power, right? Um, yeah. Kind of the way you would have if you have like a Democrat or Republican in power, they they follow they, they follow along those lines. So. Um, it's it's the it's the exact same thing. I just think it falls more along ethnic lines than political or like parties. Yeah. Same thing happened in Lebanon uh, in the seventies. There was a civil war over the census. Censuses yeah. are very sensitive in a lot of parts of the world. In, in yeah. this country, in this country, it's a boring form you have to fill out. Mm. When was the last time? Oh, has the has the US had has the US had one in a while? We did one last year. We do it every last ten year? years. Oh, okay. Sweet. Every ten years and. Um, then we redistrict our congressional seats and our state legislative seats based on the census. Mm. And California right now is drawing the new maps. And mm. we do it with an independent commission, mm. unlike a lot of states where the state legislature draws their own districts. Mm. We do it with an independent commission. And it's so it's a bunch of non-politicians who are supposed to not take politics into account, just right. keep communities together, keep mm-hmm. normal looking districts. Have you ever heard of a gerrymander or a gerrymander? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, these, these like weird looking districts that snake along a road and then right. suddenly balloon out. Uh, you're not supposed to do that. And so what the Independent Commission has done is I think they've they've drawn districts that I think the number is 28 state okay. legislatures. Okay. State legislators are now in a different district with another state legislator. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of incumbents that might have to run against each other and people are looking at the draft map and they're like this is chaos right what are right. we doing here we're, <laughs> we're gonna have to have some conversations about this right. draft map i don't i don't think the draft map is going to be the final map um but it's an interesting process and yeah every state does it a little a little bit different what's daily life like in abuja like what's it like to just go through a day living in abuja Wow, that's that's also a really good question. Um, I think honestly, that's something that I can answer, and it will be the the typical, you know, consulting answer of it depends, right? right. Um, and the reason I say that is because the way the way you live your life in Abuja would really depend on where you are at um, in in the city. So I think a, a critical example that I can give here would be. In, in Nigeria, for the most part, you know, we don't have constant electricity, we don't have constant water. Um, so if you live in a place, for instance, that where you're able to provide those things for yourself, your quality of life, your standard of life is very different than if you lived in a place where you didn't have that, right? Um, because and I think it's something that 
sometimes can be a little bit difficult to grasp because, for instance, when I did my undergrad here, as far as long as I've been here, you know, there's always electricity, there's always water, like these things are like almost givens, you know. Um, but in my part of the world, that's not something that is that is guaranteed um, at all. So I think that really affects your your day to day life um, with regards to you know how do you how do you prepare food maybe for your kids if you have a family or how do you prepare like like you could you could be in a situation where the moment you get electricity you probably want to iron all your clothes for like the rest of the week because you have no idea when next you're going to get it right so like those those kinds of like um, realities um, are just really altered by the the necessities like the basic necessities of life that we just need to to, to survive um, so but besides that I would say I'd say usually like um, if I was just to give like um, like an interesting day to day like so for me for I, as a student if I was a student there um, I'd probably you know just wake up go to class um, classes we usually would have we don't have like night classes for for at least for as long as I, for as much as I know. Um, so you just go to class and then you probably just hang out and yeah, just eat a bunch of like really nice food. Um, like I feel like one of the things I really enjoyed there is the is the accessibility to different cultural foods, um, especially, you know, if you're somebody who likes to try a lot of new things. Um, but yeah, that would probably just be like, I mean, it kind of sounds really mundane, but it is, I think it's one of the, the necessary joys that I've come to, to enjoy. Um, but yeah, I do, I do believe that, that if you asked, you know, another person what their day-to-day -day life was, I think it will come down to, you know, do they have the basic necessities provided? So are they able to enjoy like watching, I don't know, Netflix or like playing video games? That's something they're able to do or, or not because, um, because those things are already readily available to them. So, yeah. yeah. How about the economy of Nigeria? Tell us a little bit about the economy and standard of living and what, what the major industries are that really matter for the country? Yeah, I mean, the biggest, I mean, Nigeria is, uh, what would we say, like a mono-economic country. We depend a lot on oil. Um, oil is our, is our biggest export and oil is what gives us the most um, foreign exchange. Um, and so because of that, there is a lot of, um, I don't want to say, I don't want to say corruption, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of struggle, right, to to own that, own that, um, or to control, to control that that um, major resource, right. Um, so, and it's interesting because that wasn't always the case, right. We like before before we discovered oil, you know, agriculture was our biggest uh, was the biggest provider of foreign exchange, and that that kept a lot of people employed. That kept, you know, that that I think that brought way less division because. Um, with agriculture, right? Agriculture doesn't depend on your culture. It doesn't depend. It depends on like where can the crop grow, right? So if the crop, if this is a particular, is there's a particular crop that can go grow well in the north, then the northern people will take care of that. If it can grow well in the east, the eastern people will take care of that, right? Um, so there was much less division over that. But with 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 oil, you know, it's different. So now that we have a, a full central government, they even if it grows. Even if oil is not gross, if even if oil is extracted in the east, for instance, or in the south, the government, um, which can be of any tribe, controls that, right? So it can even leave the people who actually are from there impoverished, right? Because they might employ their own people to go work in in uh, those industries, right? So those are like some of the challenges that you know Nigeria faces when it comes to its economy. Um, and so we are also very um, affected by, you know, oil, oil price changes, for instance. So, for instance, whenever COVID hit, Nigeria has had to devalue its, its currency, uh, I think, three times for as, as, as much as I can remember. Um, and that is that's absolutely crazy, especially, you know, if you're studying abroad, for instance, and the country just keeps like devaluing the currency um, just because of the impact of, um, not people, people aren't going around as much. So oil isn't really in demand. So, you know, we have to try, I mean, kind of compensate for that. Um, but yeah, um, oil, is our, oil is our biggest export. And interestingly, also one of our biggest um, imports, right? Because we export crude oil, but we import refined oil at a higher price, right? Because for some reason, there is, I don't know why there isn't any incentive to actually work on, creating refineries 
um, within the country, but you know, that's probably a discussion for another day. Um, but yeah, that's, that's basically how uh, the economy is. Well, that happens in, in a lot of oil producing countries around the world that they mm -hmm. export the, the crude oil and then they have to import it refined from somewhere else. Right, right. Um, and then people wonder why there's resentment at the West over the oil issue. And it's, <laughs> we have this oil, we sell it right. to you so you can sell it back to us at right. markup. And our whole economy is dependent on the price of oil, which we don't control. Mm -hmm. so whether we're growing or in a recession, we're in this boom bust cycle all the time. Right. And it's all dictated by how, how much interest there is in Germany of driving to work instead of taking the bus. Right, <laughs> right, right. Like, exactly. are, are people in Canada taking summer vacations? Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. great, we can eat this month. Right, right. Um, and so it is a boom bust cycle. You said you miss it sometimes. What do you miss about it? Um, honestly, like, I think, you know, just with regards to like I th the people, you know, the, the food, I mean, the food is always a big one. I think that's, that will always be a given, but like, even with, even with all the, the, the struggles that Nigeria faces for the most part, you know, you know, the way people find the way people are able to like, you know, go through that, so, like even with like through comedy or like through being just, just being jovial. Um, I think it's, it's something that I really appreciate about like the country, especially because, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily an easy place to live if you're not, you know, if you're not well off or well to do, you know? Um, but there's just, there's just this, you know, general optimism that like things will get better, you know, things will improve. And I don't know, there's just something about like being surrounded by that that um, makes me like not take things for granted, you know, um, not take the opportunity that I have to be here to study, to be, um, to have this experience. Um, so I think generally like the people are, are I, I think they make, you know, they make the country, they make the culture, um, they're my people. So um, I think that's one of the biggest things, the food, obviously, um, my you know my family um i think yeah it's a place that i've lived in for at least 17 years before i came to the u.s for my undergrad so um it's it's a place i call home yeah um and it, you it's interesting you mentioned that nigeria is an optimistic place you've spent some time in the united states here at marshall and we're about to talk about your time in college in the united states <laughs> do you think the united states is an optimistic country right now compared to Nigeria? Well, I think, are you talking about just in general, like a general sense? Yeah, I have the sense that we have a very sour mood in the United States right now. Mm. I get the sense that people are very happy with the way that life is going. And I've sort of felt that way for a while. We seem to be mm -hmm. a little bit disgruntled. Mm. Yeah, so that's that's a very good question. To be honest, I think, I, to be, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not actually. I'm not even sure, right? Because I think. I think we're coming from. We'll be coming from two different angles, right? Like it's from what. Like like I mentioned earlier, a lot of the basic necessities here are provided, like in the U.S. You know, so it's. You. I think you're much more likely to dispel those things when you're looking at the. When you're talking about like an outlook for like the country or like the individuals, right? But like in Nigeria, for instance, even with all the struggles, like, you know, not having those basic necessities, there's still general optimism. I think this is, I think this is most, mostly, you know, rooted in religion, right? Like if you're, if you're religious, um, Nigeria is a very religious country. So if you're religious, you, you, you always have to hope that, you know, it, like it's going to get better, right? um you know that, that you know god is protecting you and like god is watching over you so like things are going to get better you just uh, um but i think when you come to a society like like you know like like the u.s for instance very you know very big you know a lot of things a lot of things are just are just givens um i think maybe there are higher level issues that the u.s is dealing with and like you know the people in here are dealing with that, like we aren't, like, like Nigeria isn't dealing with yet, right? Um, so even though that general optimism, I think I can agree is is not as high in the in the U.S. 
but I think it's it's usually for different reasons, you know. So we're talking about like, you know, we're we're talking about issues of like getting a vaccine, for instance. Some people don't want to get a vaccine. Some people want like they think they like everybody should get the vaccine. Like in in Nigeria, we're just like, <laughs> if if you have the vaccines, come and give it to us, you know, because we don't we're not we're not trying to you know deal with all of this. But you know, here here there's there's just much more this different belief, you know, in individual choice um, and how I want to live my life. Um, and so I think I think yes, the general optimism might be different because of different political landscapes, because of different issues that you know people in the U.S. deal with. Um, I just think we are we are two different levels um, in life to to compare. I think that's a fair point. You mentioned religion. Religion is a, a pretty important part of the landscape in Nigeria. Uh, can you give us a little bit of a background on uh, religion in Nigeria? What the major religions are? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think for the most part they're just the two two major religions. We have Islam and we have uh, Christianity, right? Yeah. So for the most part, this is just a big generalization as well. The northern part of Nigeria is mostly um, they mostly practice Islam, um, and then the southern part is mostly um, Christian. Um, that's just like the biggest generalization that I can give. Um, and so with that, you know, there is, um, I would say that sure people get along, but I think there's just a general underlying like animosity between the two religions um, that can usually like come in full force when you, when you look at the political landscape, right? So, for instance, if you ever if you ever to look at like the Nigerian cabinet, um, like with regards to the people in the Senate or people in the House of Representatives, right, you would notice that like a majority of them are, uh, you know, practice Islam. So there's always this tendency to, you know, just go with the people, you know. Right. So if I'm if I'm a Muslim and you're also a Muslim and, you know, the person is a Christian, I'm more likely to hire the Muslim, right? Now I'm not saying this is the this is the this is like the the way it works, but when you when you notice this trend, um I think I, I don't think it's debatable, right? I think I think you'd have a hard time, you know, disproving that. So um there's just this general like underlying you know animosity I would say between the two forces, but we we, we try to find a way to, to coexist. Um so and when it was time for uh for you to go to college, you decided to go to a very different place from Nigeria, uh-huh. Emporia State. All right. Which, uh, when we did the pre-show, I did not actually even know what state that was in. Uh-huh. Uh, tell me about Emporia State and why you decided to go there. Yeah. So, so actually, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna give you know the audience a tip here, like to not take this, to not write this ever on their application. But I went to Emporia State because you know my dad said. Uh, this is the place you're going, so you know that's that's where I headed. Um, it's interesting because I spent so from the age of 11 to the age of 17, I was in boarding school um, in Nigeria, right? Um, so within that period of time, I didn't have any idea of like you know where I was going, where I was going to go for college, or like you know I had never been to the U.S. Of course, of course, I've heard, I've heard about it because my dad um, had been here a couple of times. Um, but my dad is like really passionate about the U.S. Like he loves this place more than anybody I have ever encountered. Like he can go like, let's say let's say he's traveling to the U.S. He can arrive in Washington, D.C. And if he wants to go to California, he can legitimately take Greyhound like coast to coast because he just wants to see everything. Right. He's really passionate about this place. Um, and so whenever I was preparing to, to go to college, um, because I was still in boarding school, I had limited access to the internet um, to do school research. Um, so they basically, all I would do is he would send me an email to write a, like essays. Um, he wouldn't really tell me what schools they were for. He'd be like, okay, write this essay and then give it to me. So um, he did the research for the schools and then he found like, uh, he found in four states, he liked it. And he's like, well, uh, this is the place you'd be going to. So um, that was the place I headed. Um, but yeah, Emporia State, Emporia State, you know, in Kansas, a really small school in Kansas. Very, um, very different from Abuja, very different from like Los Angeles. Um, but, you know, it was my first exposure to the United States. Um, and it gave me, you know, a really, it, it was the place where I found you know, my my feet um, in terms of, you know, being able to adapt to like my professors, being able to 
to even maybe like I want to say maybe modify my accent a little bit so that people could kind of understand what I was saying um, because I remember there was a time in like freshman year sometimes I have to just carry a notepad and like if I would say something let's say I was talking to you John I said something you didn't understand me I said it again you didn't understand me I'm like okay I'm just gonna write this down so that you can you know because maybe my accent was like very thick at the time uh, but yeah it was my first exposure to the U.S. and um, I definitely, you know, learned a lot about the culture, learned a lot about, like, the people, learned, learned a lot about, you know, what are, like, the norms. Um, yesterday, I was talking to one of my friends about, like, like culture shocks that I, like, experienced. Um, so, yeah, definitely, uh, it's definitely, you know, it was a good experience for me. It was a place I definitely, you know, have no regrets about. One of the ways that Kansas is different than Nigeria is... What was the shock like when you realized you were going to just be cold for five straight months? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, like, so, you know, Nigeria has two major seasons in general. Dry season, the rainy season. Um, and so Kansas, like, Kansas, is, it was so interesting, right? Because I remember, like, there was a time, this was my junior year. It was, we were in March, and it was, like, it snowed randomly one day. Like, I would never forget that day. Just, like, randomly snowed. I was like, what? where's this coming from, right? Um, so, but yeah, like the, the winters could be could be pretty brutal and I don't like cold. Let me just be honest. Like one thing I can't part with um, is my jacket, especially during like the winter time, you know, it was just crazy. Um, but some people seem to enjoy it. Like I would be going to class on a really snowy day and I'd see people in like shorts and I'm like, we, I mean, we must be experiencing very different weathers you know, at this time, we must be in like completely different places because I can't understand how I'm like double, triple layered and you are in like shorts and slides. Like, um, I don't know how that works, but yeah. They're just used to it. Right. They're just, they're right. just used to it. I remember when I, um, I went to Egypt to see the pyramids and we, uh, we got a guide and it's like 78 degrees in February every day. Still, mm. it's in the seventies. And he's walking around with a winter sweater on. And I'm just like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was just like, yeah, yeah. Acclimation. He's just, he's just acclimated. This is this to him. This is cold. Wow. Um, I'm sweating through my t-shirt. He's got a sweater on. Um, you decided to go back to Nigeria after college. Um, and you became a tax consultant. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah, so- You worked so for the government, right? It was for the- right, for, for the, the government. Yeah. So I worked for what would be the IRS um, here in the US. Um, and so we had like, uh, I mean, there were like various divisions, for instance, so we had like the, the tax accountants, we had the tax consultants, we had the people who did like due diligence on like companies who were, for instance, uh, weren't paying their taxes or weren't filing their taxes appropriately. We had people who would actually go chase down people to go pay their taxes. Um, they were called FDE. I forget what the full meaning is. Uh, but yeah, apparently not as not as exciting as it sounds, especially when you don't find the people <laughs> that you're going to search for. Um, but yeah, so that's that was like uh, those were like the major divisions. And I so I was just like as a as a, a tax consultant. So basically. I was in charge of like um, issuing the tax clearance certificates um, that people would need uh, once they successfully file their taxes, um, just so they don't get further fined, you know, by by the government for for evading evading uh, uh, their tax their taxes. Um, yeah. What uh, tell me about the tax system of Nigeria? What are the major taxes? How do people pay taxes? Is it easy to administer once you get out of the cities? Mm -hmm. Honestly, the, the tax system, in my opinion, but this is just my personal opinion, isn't really as effective. Like you, you could, you could, um, you could go a long way and not like pay taxes just because it's not, it's not really effectively done. So for instance, you, the only way you can avoid it, for instance, is if you're working obviously in the private sector and public sector, um, that one is it's just automatically taken uh, from from your income. 
Um, but that's the income tax, right? And then you would usually have to pay a value-added tax um, as well, um, especially if you're like uh, like an enterprise, for instance. Um, but like with things like, let me let me think of what what example can I use like in the U.S. to kind of compare? Like I don't know. Like I think the U.S. has a like compared to Nigeria, a very effective way of like you know taking like taking your taxes, right? Yeah. Um, like, but but in Nigeria, you would only have you you only feel the need to do that if you're running a business, right? Because you know people are gonna come after you and like maybe try to shut down the business, right? Or if you are working, like if you're working like a salary job, for instance. But if you're doing like if you're working like let's say in a restaurant, for instance you're probably not going to pay taxes. Like they might pay you in cash at the end of the, the week, at the end of two weeks. Um, they might even just transfer the money to your account. So all there are like various loopholes to like the tax system, right? It's only if you're going through a really official source that um, that you actually get taxed. But that's, that's, that's my opinion. That's the way I experienced it and the way I saw it. Do most people in Nigeria have bank accounts or do they mostly just go on cash? Um, no, most people do have, most people do have bank accounts. Yes. Most people, most people, do. I mean, I think that's just, it's almost for like security purposes, right? Um, that most people have bank accounts. Um, yeah. That always becomes an issue is when a country is mostly cash based, you can't verify incomes, you can't verify mm-hmm. expenditures, you can't assess sales taxes. So right. I was wondering right. if that was one of the issues that Nigeria has administering its tax system. Because the United States, it's very hard. If somebody really looks at what you're doing, it's very hard to lie about your income too much. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Except for jobs like servers in restaurants, where they mm-hmm. take a lot of cash-based tip compensation. Mm-hmm. That becomes... Uh, easier to not maybe report the full amount of income. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a value-added tax, we do not have that in the United States. Mm-hmm. Do you think the value-added tax is a, a good tax overall? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I, think, I think the value-added tax is, I think it's a good tax. Like, um, I think just in terms of, you know the but i but i also i also have to give the caveat that i think it also really depends on you know the 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 economy you know the state of the economy or like the, the kinds of businesses that you have um like within the country um but i think for the most part like i'm actually interested to know like why the why do you think the u.s doesn't have the the value added tax what is your perspective on that my perspective is that this country was founded on a tax revolt and we hate taxes more than we hate almost anything. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think it would be very hard to argue with that, to be honest. Um, yeah, like, like even, even in Nigeria, you know, like the, we, people, we that work in the IRS are probably known as like, you know, public enemy number one, because obviously, and I think across the board, right, nobody wants to pay taxes, right? Nobody wants to do that. Um, but I think it's particular here um, in the U.S., like even and it's, it's 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 always a big issue when it comes to political races, right? Like if you if you're saying you're gonna go tax this set, this set of people, you're gonna increase taxes. Is like you're you're like you know you're you're cutting your nose to, to spot your face, basically. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, it's interesting. Our, we pay less in taxes than a lot of European countries do, but I think we pay less. The amount that we pay less is maybe not as great as people assume. Like mm. the gap is a little smaller when you really look at the numbers than people in the United States probably think. And so I think part of it is also people look around and they say, I look at my paycheck and half of it's gone. Mm. And, then I, and then I drive to work and I got crummy roads, mm-hmm. not happy with my schools, mm. I got no mass transit. Mm. What am I getting for my money? There is an element of, do I feel like I'm getting value for this? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but see, you see, like, this is where, this is where I think, like, the, the difference in, like, perspectives really, like, affects me, right? Because at the very least here, and maybe people might, might disagree, but coming from Nigeria over here, I can actually see where the taxes are going. Like, yeah. even if, I mean, maybe Americans don't believe they have good roads. I believe America, like 
the U.S. has spectacular roads, right? Like the bridges are well connected. Like you can you can literally like drive for miles without ever experiencing like potholes. In Nigeria, like they might they take your taxes, but you're not seeing where it's going, right? You still right. don't have constant electricity. You still don't have like constant water. The roads aren't that great, right? So there's this general dissatisfaction, right? Why am I paying these taxes and I can't see it going anywhere, right? But right. you know the so this is, I guess this is where like the perspectives are different. For me, this is where I actually have a greater appreciation for like, at least if you're taking my taxes, I can see where it's going, right? But, right. you know, that's, 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 that's me coming from another place. I think, I think if maybe if you're an American who has always been here, you know, who has like had this really high standard of living or like is used to this, maybe you might have a different perspective. And obviously I'd appreciate that. Um, yeah. But yeah. So after you worked for the Nigerian equivalent of the IRS, you started an enterprise called Zing, Zing yeah. Spaces. Zing Spaces, yeah. First of all, why did you want to leave the tax service in Nigeria? So actually, um, I didn't. I didn't even leave the. I actually co-founded this nonprofit organization while also handling my uh, the full-time job of uh, being a tax consultant. Um, I, I worked with one of my, you know, my really close high school friends, um, which like, um, I mean, we went to the same church. So that was kind of how we, this whole thing started. Um, but basically the, the, the founding of this organization was just, was born from a struggle that Nigeria has been having with the issue of terrorism, um, particularly from the terrorist group, group Boko Haram, right? which um, operate in the northeastern part of Nigeria. So basically, um, like, a, like, I guess a quick rundown would be, you know, they, they operate in that in those regions. They like, they can like go in the middle of the night to like burn villages, you know, or like bomb villages. And those people who survive would like literally like escape and like flee from those areas and come to the capital, right? So you can almost imagine how long that journey is, but they will come all the way to the capital to seek help from the government, you know, um, but in, in in the period of time when they are seeking help, because of how like big, how bureaucratic, you know, the the government is, um, before they able they able to get that help, they have they need to have places to stay, right? But yeah, this is this is in their home, so they usually house themselves in like you know banners, leaves, you know, materials that are very um unstable and you know vulnerable to harsh weather conditions and you know to, to dangerous insects um but yeah that was so that was really the main motivation behind um the co-founding of this uh non-profit organization and to, let's give people maybe a little bit of uh background on boko haram because i think americans have heard of it, but maybe don't really know that much about it. Mm -hmm. This is a, a very fundamentalist religious organization, Islamic organization, right. uh, traces its roots back to sort of fundamentalist pastors. There was a fundamentalist pastor named, uh, or he called himself Maitatsine, mm -hmm. which means mm -hmm. the one who damns, which gives you a sense of what he was all about. Yeah. Uh, Boko Haram means Western education is forbidden. Mm -hmm. I, believe, I believe the rule is that the only book you are allowed to read at all is the Quran. Is the Quran, right? yes, yes. No other books, not even other religious texts from Islamic scholars. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're allowed to read the Hadiths because it's separate. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is like really, really deeply fundamentalist stuff. Right. Uh, and created a lot of a lot of displacement in, in Northern Nigeria. And so right. you wanted to help to address that by creating this nonprofit. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Um, how long did you have an involvement with it? This was uh, from March, 2019. From March, 2019, um, I had returned, I returned from Chile, November, 2018. Um, and I did, um, and then, you know, I was just still getting used to like, you know, trying to figure out what's happening within the country, you know, like my mom is a really, she's like an avid news watcher. She watches the news at 8 p.m. every day. Um, and so from like, you know, having discussions with her, I got to figure out that like, you know, this issue 
um, is really tangible. Um, um, it's really big. And also from discussions with like my high school classmate as well, um, we decided to do something about it. That's absolutely fascinating. We're going to come back in a minute and talk about your journey to Marshall and your experience here. But first, I want to remind everybody that uh, upcoming is Spirit Week. We're about to play UCLA. So we want to get ready for Spirit Week. And that means on Monday, uh, it's Pajama Day. Tuesday is Throwback Tuesday. So all the clothes that you bought when you had an income and before you came to school that are now out of style, you can bring them back out again. Uh, November 17th, Wednesday is holiday theme. And then November 18th is USC dress. So get your, your core t-shirts ready. All right, so let's talk about Marshall. You're now at uh, USC Marshall. Yeah. What was, your, what was the motivator in getting you to apply to business school? I think I think the biggest motivator for business school was honestly the the challenges that I faced with uh, you know with the, the nonprofit organization. I think you know there there are many issues that come with you know trying to create something, working with different people from like you know like I mentioned earlier, different cultures, probably speak different religions, and trying to organize all that. Um, but then there was also just like a deeper desire to like I guess fortify myself in like with business knowledge and business acumen, because I definitely see myself um, being in this space for a while. Um, so I think that was like my biggest uh, motivator to coming to, to business school. Interesting. Um, and the, before we go further into it, I want to do a little, little lightning round with some fun offbeat questions. Okay. Okay. Are you, are you a movie fan at all? Not really. <laughs> well, then this first question is going to be hard. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? Of course, if you're not a movie fan, they're all bad. You don't like movies. Oh, no, no, no. The worst movie I've ever seen. Wow. Um, I think a lot of people might not agree with this, but um, I didn't quite enjoy. I will, I don't quite enjoy, like, Disney movies. <laughs> Which... <laughs> which I know already puts me in the bad books of like a lot of people. Um, so I'll take it. I'll take it. But just uh, any Disney movie. No, not just any Disney movie. Like, but you're like, just, you're just out on all of them. Lion no, King. No, no. no. Okay. Snow White. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Little let Mermaid. Me, get him out of here. No mermaids for me. <laughs> let me specify. I would say for instance, uh, Frozen, but okay. right, I would say Frozen, right? Because so I have. My, it reminds like, you of Kansas too much. no. <laughs> So my youngest sister at the time, uh, because I'm the oldest out of five, right? She forced me, literally every time she wanted to watch Frozen, she would force me to watch it with her. And I think I watched it about like 15 times within a week. And I was like, if I see, if I hear like, do you want to be the snowman? One more time, I'm going to like lose it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, I just put that on her. So, yeah. It's almost like being a parent. The kids yeah. have the kids in the pandemic have frozen on nine hundred times in the in oh, quarantine. It's oh, just like I, I can't, it. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> can't right. do it anymore. All right. Uh, what's a music you like that you're embarrassed to like? Whew, music I like that I'm embarrassed to like. Mm. So there's this like, I, I mean, I think it's. Do you want like a specific name or genre? Just whatever you whatever you want. It could be a genre. It could be an artist. We've had people mm -hmm. name both. So there's this like there's this genre alternative rock, um, and it's by Novo Novo Amor. He's the artist. I mean, to me, he's spectacular. Like I, I listen to his album probably every month. He he released one called Cannot Be Whatsoever. Um, but some people find it to be very touchy feely. Some people find it to be very uh, maybe depressing. But I absolutely enjoy his music his sound um and yeah what's the last book you read not for marshall not for school um, the last book i read it was this book called um the i think it was, it's the silent killer right the silent killer or the, or the silent murder the silent killer yeah so it's basically it's basically a a, a fictional book about this woman who kills her husband and just remains silent throughout. So she kills her husband in cold blood 
And then a psychiatrist attempts to go figure out, you know, what what's the reason she did that, right? But she just stays silent the whole time. And so the psychiatrist tries to figure out, you know, how he can get through to her to make her speak and then, you know, get this grand revelation. Um, really interesting, but probably one of the one of the most interesting ones I've read in the recent in recent times. Uh, but yeah. What's your favorite place you've been? Favorite place I've been. Um, honestly, Via Prat in Chile, uh, where I served as a teacher. Um, I think it was a fascinating place for me because one, it was very rural. Like to give you a little bit of a context. So I taught English in this town and in this town, there were more horses than cars, right? Like my, my students literally came to school in horses, which was really surreal for me. Like, I remember the first time seeing that, I couldn't believe it, right? Um, and then also because of like the cultural context, like whenever I went to Chile, I didn't have any idea about the people, the culture, the language. It was what I would call, you know, a classic sink or swim situation. Um, but somehow I was, I was able to survive. So um, definitely one of the places that brings up really fun memories. What were you teaching? English, I taught English there, yeah. If any undergrads are listening, if you want to get a great experience, go find some place to teach English. You will. You can go anywhere in the world. <laughs> People are looking to learn English. You can get paid <laughs> a little bit of money, <laughs> not a lot of money by American standards, but enough to enjoy yourself in a foreign country and just go someplace for nine months or a year and just teach English. It's an <laughs> awesome experience. I've never, I, I've never met somebody who regretted doing that. Yeah, I second that. Second that one hundred percent. Um. How much of Chile did you get to see outside the village? <laughs> or, were, or were you mostly in the village? So I was in the village for, I stayed in the village for about six months. And then I went to work in um, in a place called like Valparaiso, really close. Um, well, actually not really close to the village. I'm pretty far away from the, uh, from the village. Um, I worked there for another six months. Um, I got to go close to the Atacama uh the Atacama Desert um yeah I got to see quite a bit of Chile not as much as I would have liked because I was only there for a year and I spent the majority of the time teaching um but it's definitely a place I intend to go back to also to visit my host mom because I miss her she was just an absolutely fantastic woman uh, but yeah what's a place that you want to go that you haven't been yet um I want to go to the Emirates Stadium um, which is where, which is in England, which is where my favorite soccer team, Arsenal, plays. Um, Arsenal, you know, is a team that causes me a lot of heartache. They've caused me a lot of heartache for a very long time, but I can't leave them, which is just, it's absolutely sad for me. Um, but yeah, I can't leave them. So no matter what they put me through, I definitely, I think we'll still continue to be cursed to be a fan of the team. So I would definitely like to go to their stadium and watch them live once. Um, for sure. So it's like a bad marriage. Very, very bad marriage. You know, it's a, ba it's a bad marriage. You've married the wrong person, but now you have kids and you're stuck. You can't. And leave. you're stuck. I put that on my dad because my dad, my dad was an Arsenal fan when I was growing up. Now he's like, he's completely dissociated himself from the team. He's like, this team oh, is yeah. trash. I can't do it. And I'm like, so you're able to do that, but I'm not. So thanks, thanks, Dad. If you're listening to this thing. <laughs> All right, so we're going to play a uh, very stupid game now. It's okay. going to be a short game. Okay. So earlier this year, a poll came out asking Americans if they believed that they could win a fight against various wild animals. 15 animals were in the poll. Americans were asked if they thought they could win a fight against the animals. We're going to spin a random number generator, number one to 15. That is going to pick one of the 15 animals. And we're going to see if you think you can take the animal in a fight. All right. <laughs> Let's see what you get. Okay. Oh, my God. Animal number 14. Oh, you got the second hardest animal. Only the grizzly bear had fewer people who believed they could win a fight. You get a lion. Oh, my goodness. 8% uh, of Americans thought they could beat a lion in a fight. 8% of Americans are extremely dumb. <laughs> Well, that's, I mean, I, I don't think I can disagree with that because I definitely can't be the lion. Not a chance. Not a chance. Yeah. No, matter, no matter how much, how much weight I lift, impossible. 
let's okay so let's say you're you're in the octagon the lion walks in you're in it there's no way out what's your plan like what's your best shot to deal with this lion oh my goodness um i mean the first thing that came to my mind is like to run to tire it out but i think like you know lions literally probably have to run to to get their prey, so i won't be so successful in that plus i'm not that athletically inclined when it comes to running um so that would be a good strategy i think what i would do is <laughs> i think it's gonna sound dumb i would probably like play dead because if i if i already feel i'm gonna die anyway I might as well just let it happen right oh so wow <laughs> I play that, and then if it if it if it you know if it falls for it, great. If not, well, goodbye world. That's a strategy a lot of your classmates are probably using right now in accounting. <laughs> Wait, but I'm curious though. Like, do you have a strategy for that? I think my it's a genuine, genuinely hopeless situation. It, like, there are so many animals on here that are are much better. Like a rat. That's one. A house cat. That's on the list. A goose. It would be a fight because geese are kind of mean, but I think I could yeah. take a goose. A lion, yeah. there's no chance. There's no chance. But I think what I would do is try to start off and land the first shot. Mm. Go right at him, yell, be loud, try to land one punch right on his nose and get this lion to think, what is wrong with this person? Mm. This dude oh. is so crazy. Do you think like, you I don't. Him, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't know do, what he's going to do. Do you think you can get him more mad? Do I what? Do you think you can get the lion more mad by 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 punching him? I mean, we're already in a fight. I gotta try to knock this guy off balance somehow. Mm-hmm. I gotta get him thinking. Nah, I'm just. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't know who I this like guy that. is. I don't know what's wrong with him. He's <laughs> supposed to be running and instead he's screaming and punched me in the nose like i don't mm. know what this is mm. i just like no i'm out i'm out I definitely, i'm gonna I, go I, find a gazelle i agree with that i agree with that. i think um, that's a much better strategy than playing dead don't play dead guys it's it's don't a low <laughs> it's a low probability strategy of success but at least the lion might think you're crazy right <laughs> um this, Things that have a higher probability of success than fighting a lion in an octagon. You are pursuing consulting as a career for after martial. Mm. Uh, what motivated you to pursue consulting? Um, I think I think honestly, just the I think the industry is something that I'm really interested in. Um, I think you know I came to business school, and to be honest, I don't really have like specifically what I don't really know like, specifically what I want to do like. The industry I'd like to work in. Um, I think consulting is just the one is the one industry that exposes you to a lot of different sectors, a lot of different experiences, and then from that you're able to kind of figure out, okay, where do I have a little bit of like passion for? What do I like to concentrate um, when I actually want to go into industry? Um, so I think consulting, because of the breadth and depth of knowledge you're able to experience, um, that's I think that that's honestly one of the biggest pools um, for me, but. Um, you know, also as I've been in business school, I figured out that like it also gets like a pretty bad rap for some reason, right? Um, people are always ready to you know say negative things about consulting, but the thing I find interesting is that there are people that are actually still working within the industry. So I also personally want to have my own testimony as to okay, let it be that like I've been there, done that, and I have my own perspective, and not just hear all the um, all the I guess negativity. Um, that is that is really associated with with it so that's that's for me that's my take consulting is good i don't know why people rag on consulting it's fine people rag, people rag on consulting oh, the, the beauty about consulting is if you do it and you don't like it you can go do something else mm-hmm. and it's like fine right you know right you pick almost expected of- almost expected really yeah like it's built in. That's why they have a, a pipeline of people every year. Is they know right. they'll lose a certain number of people every year, and they right. can replace them, and it's it's fine. Right. You know, you you pick the wrong industry at a business school. Whether it's you worked in an industry after undergrad, and so you feel like your best shot is to continue in the same industry, or mm-hmm. you, know, you want to pivot to a new industry, and you're just like, 
I pivoted to the wrong industry. It's hard to pivot somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard to do consulting, get exposed to a bunch of different clients, and then have a better idea of what industry to pivot to. And you're pivoting probably into a better position than what you would have gotten coming straight out of business school. Consulting is good. Absolutely. Um, My my self-serving theory is they hate us because they hate us. They hate us because they hate us. Yeah. Actually, I think I think what they hate is living in airplanes and hotels. Probably is what they really hate. That's I, I mean that's that's the place that gets the the biggest um, attention, right? The fact that maybe maybe the work life balance, the work life balance, the fact that you don't you're not in control of your schedule, you're always on the move. Um, I'm interested to know to just see how how the industry you know moves with like the virtual world now or the hybrid sense. Um, I think. I think companies are still figuring that out. Maybe some have figured it out yet. I'm not quite sure, um, but I'm interested to see how that how that you know develops going forward. Yeah. Well, I asked you what what are the places you want to go. You go into consulting. You might get to go to a lot of them. Mm. Um, you'll be delivering PowerPoint presentations in many many American cities. Hopefully, just do the traveling. Well, Kim, this was a fascinating conversation. I want to thank you for joining us. Um, I don't know when I'm going to release the episode because I realized about five minutes after I did the Mar- the uh, live read for Spirit Week mm. that the original schedule is that this will air after Spirit Week. Mm. So I have to decide whether I want to release this this weekend ahead of schedule or whether I want to hold it and just have a very silly, out-of-date live read. <laughs> uh, so it- it'll... It'll go up pretty soon, but this was a fascinating conversation. I think people will get a lot out of it and get a, a sense of a very important country, Nigeria, which we talked about for a lot, and mm. uh, uh, get a sense for a very interesting classmate who I think is going to be doing making some big moves in the consulting world. Uh, I want to give you, in the tradition of Fej McDermott, who was the original host of the show, uh, he would always give the guests two minutes at the end to pick a topic and uh, just do two minutes on any subject that they wanted, anything they wanted to talk about, whether they wanted to talk about their favorite sport, Taylor Swift's new version of Red is coming out today. If you're if you're a big Swifty, we can talk about that. <laughs> Probably what I would pick as a big Swifty myself. Um, oh, wow. Oh, she's the greatest. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, that's that's cool. Um, we, we've had two people pick as the music that they're embarrassed to like is Taylor Swift. And I'm like, why are you embarrassed? Why are you embarrassed? You first, first ballot hall of fame. Why are you embarrassed? Trying to, trying to save their reputation. Trying to save their reputation. She's the best. What can I say? <laughs> um, so two minutes to talk about whatever you want. The floor is yours. Hmm. I think right off the top of my head, because I'm really passionate about this, um, I would just like to talk about the soccer. Soccer is something Let's that I'm particularly you know, interested in. I've played a lot of it. I watch a lot of it. Actually, because I watch, so I watch the English Premier League, so I have to wake up at like 4.30 a.m. here um, to, watch, to watch the games, which is absolutely brutal on the weekends. I'm like, I have to do it. This is this is what I know. This is what I'm passionate about. But yeah, soccer is great. So if you ever if you ever um, thinking about getting involved in any sport, get involved in soccer because there are many positions. There are a lot of people can make a lot of friends, and you know you can be really fit from it. So we have a soccer club, don't we? Yes, we do. Are you yeah. in it? I'm part of it. I haven't gone to I haven't gone to any games yet because I'm I'm actually really focusing on recruiting at the moment. Right. But hopefully once that gets done in the spring, I will be able to fully participate in the soccer club for sure. Um, do you have anything for the soccer club that you would like to plug at the end of the episode so we can have at least one live read on the show that is not out of date by the time the episode airs? Um, in terms of, I mean, I'd like to get the soccer club involved in fantasy football. To be honest, I don't know if they are, right. uh, but I play it. Like last last season, I was I came like 13k out of approximately eight million players worldwide, which I consider a really good accomplishment, right? Um, so um, I'd like to get them involved in in fantasy football because I think it's I mean it's really interesting to me. So, is this fantasy American football or fantasy no. football with the no. 
It's, and it's, it's football you play with your feet. Right, exactly. As exactly. opposed to American football, which, which well, you play with your hands. Right, <laughs> right. Fantasy, let me say fantasy soccer, right? Just for much more clarity. But uh, yeah, I like to get them involved in that because it's, it's interesting. How do you go about playing fantasy soccer? I've never played fantasy soccer. So basically, um, just like a quick a quick run. Now you, you have to watch. So what I do is I watch like the teams. Like I try to watch a lot of teams play and figure out like, it's actually interesting because there are a lot of stats that go into it, like underlying stats, right? So how many touches in the box? So for instance, you have to captain a player. Whoever you captain gets double points, right? So mm-hmm. if, a, and if the person is a mid, like a midfielder, then they get like five points. If you if you captain them, they get ten points, right? So, but basically, you have to figure out okay, how many touches in the box does this person get, for instance, or how many sh- attempted shots do they have on target? How many shots do they even take in total? Are they like penalty takers, right? So, like from watching different matches and see how different people play, how how good are they defensively? How good are they offensively, right? Then you're able to build a team. But the interesting thing with fantasy soccer is that each year the game gets more and more difficult because each player is given a hundred million virtual pounds to spend on um, 14 or 15 players, right? But because players get better over time for the most part, you have to spend way more money on particular players, which leaves you with like less money to like fill up the team, right? So you have to be really strategic with like you know the how you build your team. And I just find that very interesting, right? I find that very interesting. So, um, yeah, that's that's honestly a quick rundown on fantasy soccer. Fascinating. Yeah. Ken, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, let me know you. if there's anything I can do to help with the consulting journey. I'm happy to, to help. Uh, but I'm sure you're going to do fine. And this is a great conversation. We were very happy to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on, John. All right. Everybody, see you next week.